0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org.
1: What I would like to talk about this morning is uh, something I've been contemplating for a few weeks, which is joy. And so, you know, it's a, of the things that you can contemplate, that's quite a nice one. But the, I have a lot of questions around joy that have to do with, uh, what is it? <laughs> how does it arise? What, how do we recognize it? What does it mean? How is it different from anything else? And so the topic that I want to explore this morning is how is it related to mindfulness of feelings, vedana, the pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral that we have to notice in the bare moment. So keeping that in mind, uh, I want to start the morning by reading a poem by Jane Hirschfeld, which is uh, called The Promise. Mysteriously they entered those few minutes. Mysteriously they left. As if the great dog of confusion guarding my heart who was always sleepless, suddenly slept. It was not any awakening of the large, not so much as that, only a stepping back from the petty. I gazed at a range of mountains. I drank from the stream, tossed in a small stone from the bank. Whatever direction the fates of my life might travel, I trusted Even the greedy direction, even the grieving, trusted. There was nothing left to be saved from, bliss or danger. The dog's tail wagged a little in his dream. Let me just read that again a little more quickly. Mysteriously, they entered those few minutes. Mysteriously, they left, as if the great dog of confusion guarding my heart, who was always sleepless, suddenly slept. It was not any awakening of the large, not so much as that, only a stepping back from the petty. I gazed at the range of mountains, I drank from the stream, tossed in a small stone from the bank. Whatever direction the fates of my life might travel, I trusted. Even the greedy direction, even the grieving, trusted. There was nothing left to be saved from, bliss or danger. The dog's tail wagged a little in his dream. So, so I have a, a, a lot of impressions from this poem. Um, I have a lot of knots here in this tag, this, this microphone strap, but there we go. We'll, we'll live with the knots. They're just knots. <laughs> so one thing the poem does is break things down into small pieces we're talking about minutes, mysteriously arriving, mysteriously leaving. We're not talking about the life. We're not talking about finding whatever it is we're finding in all of life. We're talking about just a few minutes. Just a few minutes. There's no overall good profile. It's just the minutes were here and they left. This here and leaving And realizing that that happens all the time. The minutes are here and they're left. The more we can realize that, and by realize I mean live in, oh, these minutes are here, oh, they're left, the more likely we are to be present in this minute, as opposed to trying to find the place for this time in the overall scheme, you know, the the week, let's take the week, how does this sitting fit in the week? No, 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 just now, just these few minutes, that's all. That's all we're going to focus on. We're not going to try to fix the week. Just these minutes, okay? I love the, the, the reference to the sleeping dog of confusion guarding my heart. That is sleepless. <laughs> the sleepless dog of confusion. Because really most of our life, We're rushing around taking care of this and this and this and this and we're being that and we're doing something. And there is always a certain amount of confusion. We can't look very carefully at every moment of our lives. You know, who's mindful all the time? And what are you mindful of anyway? How big is the gaze? Is it small? Is it large? So most of the time, the dog of confusion guarding my heart is in fact awake always there on guard to confuse me (laughs) not allowing me to see what's really happening it's an important feature i love this poem and the being here is not a big deal it's not like now being in now it's more like just okay so i'm not going to trip right now I'm, I'm not going to worry too much about how wide the swing of my arm is right now. It's just, oh, just that. It's, you know, not everything is important. We have a tendency to believe that everything is important or nothing is important. Eh, it's really kind of in, in between. The petty, all the little things that happen may not be so important, however. There's no desire to control in this poem. It's just I gazed at the mountains, I looked at the stream, I threw a petal in the stream. Not a big plan for what to do with my life. Not a new resolve for how I'm going to be. Just just this. One of the most important lines in this poem has to do with trusting in the experience. Just trusting. Trusting whether it's good or bad, whether it's lusting or hating, whether it's happy, not so happy, just trust these minutes are just as they are. Not that they're just as they should be. They just are. And just trust. I can be here with these minutes just as they are. There's a lot of freedom in trusting just now I don't trust everything I'm not all that trusting a person actually, but I can trust in just a minute (laughs) whatever it is that's up so it's not like you have to be a certain way in these minutes just know the way just knowing and then I like the confusion being temporarily quieted the dog of confusion guarding my heart occasionally misses something and just falls asleep. In those moments of complete stillness, for me, moments, I can see just this, just as it is, just this. So now I'm going to deviate a little bit and go back to the idea of joy. I want to say a few things about joy that I've been thinking about. So first of all, joy joy is energetic. It has a certain effervescence to it. You know, so so like sparkling water. The water is neither cold nor hot. I don't like it. I don't like it. It sparkles. It comes. You know, the little bubbles running up. They catch light. There's and they're gone. They're not permanent, these effervescent bubbles. Joy is a little like that. It's also very energetic. Joy is energetic. It's not the calmness of, okay, this is really pleasant. There's a spark of energy associated with joy. And it arises not so much by plan, but it just sort of shows up. Joy surprises you. Joy just, oh, it's a delight. That, that It's the kind, of, the kind of spirit that arises with delight. This is what I'm referring to as joy. It's something unexpected. But it almost always arises out of being here. I mean, literally, being here, here you don't experience joy in the abstract joy arises because you're here it's not conditional because you're here it is that you notice it and you're here otherwise you wouldn't be noticing it at all because it's not it's not like sitting in a comfy bed although you can experience joy in a comfy bed it's just here for a moment Joy is a surprise, it's unexpected, it's unlooked for. Joy is unlooked for. We look for happiness, we think about happiness and I want this but joy just kind of happens. You don't get to plan for it. It's free of des- desire or aversion. We neither conspire to bring it back about nor do we uh, cling to it, joy. Joy just happens. Oh and then it's gone, that moment. Nor do we push away any experience in pursuit of it. There is nothing you can push away that's going to bring joy into your life. It might make your life more pleasant to push something away, but it's not going to mean that you're going to be joyful. So this, this is something you need to reflect on. You don't take my word for it so what I'm saying about it is these are kind of the thoughts and reflections that I've had when I've been trying to figure out what does joy mean and where is it for me so in doing that one of the things that I looked at was mindfulness of feeling so there are four foundations of mindfulness Uh, mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of mind, mindfulness of feelings, and mindfulness of dharma. So mindfulness of feeling has a, is a term called Vedana. How many of you know about Vedana? I don't want to... Okay, so Vedana has to do with just determining whether your bare experience is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Now, this doesn't mean like, dislike, or neutral about liking or disliking. It means on its own, it is either pleasant or unpleasant. So the same thing can happen to you and to me, and I might experience it as pleasant, and you might experience it as unpleasant. There is... There are no conclusions or judgments around pleasant or unpleasant. That's kind of a hard thing to grasp. But let's take, for example, this bell. And when I ring it, I find that pleasant. Part of the reason I like that bell, which is different than the pleasant, is I associate it with meditating. And I get an associative liking about the bell. I'm kind of neutral to that sound. I'm neutral to that sound. It's a neutral sound. I you don't like it nor dislike it. It's neither pleasant nor unpleasant. It's just by itself. That's more like it's unpleasant. It's just sort of jarring. So it doesn't mean... Now, I might like that sound under certain conditions if I'm beating out a rhythm for something. So it isn't about liking or unliking. Something is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. So if we take... Uh, one of the things that's that's uh, common when we think about pleasant and unpleasant is that we tend to want to push away the unpleasant things and hold on to the pleasant things. And that pushing away and holding on is really related to whether we like or dislike it. And that kind of comes after the pleasant or unpleasant part. The pleasant or unpleasant is just the bare experience. The emotional, mental decisions about the sound are later. They kind of happen after the pleasant or unpleasant. And you have to kind of spend some time noticing you know, you might spend a whole day, for example, just noticing pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, which will drive you totally crazy, believe me. But it's useful to realise that that we are making judgments about everything that happens in our lives. And some of the things that we don't like may be pleasant. Some of the things that we like. Let's take the word sour. Sour has kind of a negative connotation. But if you're drinking lemonade, you want a little sour, (laughs) right? It's just a flavor. It is just a flavor. What you decide about it is the liking or disliking part. That distinction is really useful. Because when you think about joy, joy is not about whether you like or dislike also. Don't be fooled by if I make everything in my life pleasant, I'm going to be joyful. This is most likely not true. And it doesn't lead to a joyful life. So let's take an example. So um, so how do you react to uh, the word velvet? Does velvet, is it kind of a has kind of a, a pleasant connotation for you, like when you touch velvet. Most people like, like velvet. It's it's cushy. It's very very soft. Uh, it's smooth. Feels lush. Even the word lush has a uh, a connotation of liking something lush. It's really soft and smooth. And a lot of children's uh, plush toys are made that. They're so incredibly soft now. You know, the the plush toys they had when, I don't know, 30 years ago were soft, but now they're like velvet. It's like baby skin, these little plush toys. They're really beautiful. And you just you you hold on to them, and you just want to hold them. Ooh, I like that. So there's something about that softness that is really pleasant. It's really pleasant, and we quickly go to, I like that, pleasant. However... If you have had a particular plush toy slammed in your face a few times, or if you were scoffed at for liking a plush toy, you might have a very uh, unpleasant experience when somebody insists you look at this (laughs) plush toy. It's a very negative feeling toward it. It may be very unpleasant to consider because there is a psychological barrier around velvet or maybe you associate velvet with uh, economic status and that's abhorrent to you and so you experience you, t- huh. you have a negative experience of it and it's an unpleasant experience I want to entertain the idea that both things can be, ple- can be present you can feel that velvet and say, oh, very soft. I don't like it. And not have it to be one way or the other. It can be both. It can be, both things can be pleasant and unpleasant for you in the same moment. When, when I'm feeling a plush, a, a little plush toy, what arises for me is affection for my grandkids. So a plush toy goes way beyond that velvet feeling. Velvet is one thing. Feeling a velvet, I don't know, velvet shirt is one thing. But feeling that plush toy brings up something else in me. There's an emotional response to it. And I think about my grandchildren. And I I may not be able to give my grandchildren this plush toy that I think is so wonderful for whole numbers of reasons. One of which is they're now getting too old for plush toys. (laughs) And they don't really want them, even though, you know, it just makes me feel affectionate toward them. So I can look at that and know that all of that's present in the moment. Now, so when I'm doing that, I pick up this plush toy. I recall I get a, a warm feeling, and there is a moment, irrespective of that plush toy, just a moment, where I feel the effervescence of joy at the love that is evoked out of my heart. And I could just notice that. It was not caused by the toy. It was caused by the affection generated from feeling the toy. There was just a noticing that. Continuing to hold on to that toy is not going to bring me joy. It just has nothing to do with it. Joy arose in the moment of Showing up, and then it was that moment was over. Does this make sense? This is just a looking at what is actually happening. Nothing has happened, changed in material reality. you know so so uh, we just went through the u s holiday of Thanksgiving now i don 't know how any of you celebrated Thanksgiving or did not celebrate Thanksgiving. How you feel about it as a holiday, whether you spent time with your family, whether you were unable to spend time with your family. It tends to be a time that is fraught with all sorts of emotional content. Maybe there's a lot of food, and it's the food is pleasant until you eat too much of it, and then it's unpleasant. Or oh my goodness, all the family is here and that's great until somebody brings up a political discussion and then everybody's at their throats. Or somebody remembers something that happened in the past and everybody's angry. Or all anybody wants to talk about is how Black Friday is coming and I have to shop for this and you're all involved in the process of shopping. And it becomes a horrible experience Because it isn't meeting the expectations that you have. For years, I hated Thanksgiving. Absolutely hated it. Because I spent all my time trying to make it so wonderful. And it was never the way I wanted it to be. Because everybody else had their own idea about what it should be. And it wasn't until I realized that I could not stage manage happiness that I began to actually enjoy Thanksgiving. But the whole process of trying to make it come out good worked against me because it never met my expectations. Uh, well, this, the same thing is true of something like uh, gifting. Gifting. Gifting is a lovely thing. One of the reasons that we give things to people is that we want, we want to show them that we care about them, that we love them, that we, we, we want to give them something that makes them happy. We have to be prepared for the fact that what we think is going to make them happy may not. May not. And so we get all involved in the process of how do I get the right gift, how can I do it in such a way that it doesn't cost me too much money? I don't really have any money. I remember one year um, I did not have money. And I was trying, I had a whole group of people I wanted to give presents for. And uh, I didn't want to give them food. You know, I could have baked cookies or something. And, and uh, so I went to the store and I bought bolts of fleece that was really cheap. And I cut it into pieces and sewed around the edges and gave everybody a fleece throw. To my complete surprise, they loved them. And years later, we're talking 15 years later, I ran across a throw in someone's house that I had given them. It brought me such joy that not only did they like it to begin with, but they really liked it. They still had it. They still used it. I said, wow. And it's a reminder to me that I sometimes spend too much time trying to make things good, better, right. And it behooves us to ask the question, what do I really want? What do I really want? What is my actual intention? So if we don't lose track of my actual intention is to demonstrate I love you, to demonstrate I care. And we don't lose track of the demonstrate I care part in trying to decide how to make the other person feel like that. We just focus on, I want to give you this. The size of it isn't what's important, although it may be important to the other person. If you're not looking for a certain response from the other person, if you're not trying to stage manage the process, you're just in the giving. I want to give this to you. I want to give this to you. For a while, I stopped giving Christmas presents and gave people things at other times of the year. So there could just be a not-so-much-expected thing, but let me give you this, let me give you this. And I still sometimes do that. You know, oh, I just want to give you this. And in that act of giving, it's, it's really a transfer of, of my goodwill to you. And when I remember that, it's much more likely to lead to a sense of joy. Just in the moment. Not a continuing thing. Just, here. i give you this. It's delightful. So, uh, yesterday, I had an unpleasant experience with the phone company. So, all of you have had to deal with utility companies, large utility companies of one flavor or another. And... um, you're trying to straighten something out. This happened to be a, uh, uh, a service issue, service billing issue. And, uh, you know, first you get on the phone and you wait and you wait and you wait. And so you decide, okay, I'm going to do this by chat. No, First I tried to do it online. That didn't work. Then I tried to do it by chat. Well, it was 10 minutes wait on the chat, and then the person came on, and then we tried to... I don't know what she was doing when she wasn't typing, but there were long moments when things weren't happening. And then we agreed on what was happening, and then she, what she did was periodically try to sell me something. Don't you want an iWatch? Don't you want a new phone? You really should have a new tablet. We can give you this special... I said, really, I just want to solve this issue. So finally, we get it all done, and she sends me a message, and she says, okay, here's a summary. And I said, no, actually, that's not correct. You got rid of that instead of this, and this is what I want you to get rid of. I want to keep that. <laughs> oh, oh, it's just a typo. Okay, I've got that. Okay, fine, we're all happy. Thank you for your patience. Have, have a good holiday. Then I get an email, and sure enough, it's wrong. Okay. I get <laughs> I get back on chat and it says, well, it'll be 20 minutes. I'm thinking, oh, no. Then I get, So then I said, okay, I'm going to get on the telephone. I'm just going to bite the bullet. Right? So so during all this time, what's happening? Tension is building up. <laughs> and you have a choice about what to do with that attention. So it's unpleasant. It's unpleasant to do this A to begin with. Because You're anticipating it's going to be cumbersome. It's going to be long. It's going to be issue-driven. It's unpleasant because I was trying to prepare this talk while I was waiting online. (laughs) Mind is going different places. So finally somebody came online, and the first thing she said to me is, my name is uh, Precious. And I said, Precious? What a great word. (laughs) And because I really heard her say precious, I said to myself, she is precious. I am not going to forget that. What it did for me was shift me from this place of churning outrage, righteousness, to, okay, this is a fresh person. She wants to help me. So that attitude shift for me, of hearing the word precious, trying to retain the precious, trying to remain that way with her, flavored the whole conversation between us. Pretty soon we were both chuckling and laughing, and sure enough, it had been done wrong, and then she went back and fixed it, and then she said, okay, now it's like this. And I said, yeah, except the phone number is now associated with the wrong device. And she goes, oh, my goodness, we go back and we fix. And she says, well, I can't really fix it. (laughs) Oh, well... You can't understand how happy I am to hear that. (laughs) Then we we arrived at a solution. And by the time we're finished, we were both laughing. Really laughing. And it occurred to me that what was true is that in the midst of an unpleasant experience, there was also a pleasant experience. And it was a, the pleasant experience was laying on top of the unpleasant experience. They were both there. They were both there. And where I placed my attention determined what had the upper hand. Because I put my attention on her as opposed to my problem. The outcome, you know, it turned out that if, with the right advice, I could have skipped the whole thing, (laughs) and we both laughed about that. We just laughed about it because we were we were in this, we were in a different place, and it was surprising to her because you know anybody working in customer service must get a lot of people growling at them. They must. It was a wonderful experience, and it was just a reminder to me. And, and then, when, then they had the audacity to send me a survey request, right? <laughs> and the whole time I'm thinking, okay, do I say this was really terrible, or do I say it's not really terrible? <laughs> it was interesting. Right? So I, I was able to kind of shift through that, but I had to keep asking the question, you know, what am I referring to when I, make this, when I answer this question? Three out of ten. What does it refer to? So The thing about pleasant and unpleasant is it's no one's fault. It's only our reaction to pleasant and unpleasant that creates fault and judgment and resentment and all of those things. An experience of talking to a utility company is just plain unpleasant. But it doesn't, have to be, it's, it doesn't have to be the overweening experience. The bear getting on the phone and spending time doing something you don't want to do is unpleasant. But the experience of how do you do that, you have some control over. But you have to really be in the moment to do that. You can't be thinking about how you're going to respond to that question or why did this arise or what's another solution. You have to really be right there. You have to be right there. Knowing the, feet, the, the feeling tone, the Vedana, can help us remove ourselves from reactivity. It can give us the route to non-reactivity. It can help us say, ah, this is what's happening now. I just stubbed my toe. I don't actually always stub my toe. That chair is not out to get me. I just stubbed my toe. And that was unpleasant. Now, there are times my cock here uh, I, I recently uh, connected with a, an old colleague of mine by Skype. This this colleague lives in Europe. I haven't seen him in uh, 10 years, and I haven't talked to him for a couple of years uh, since his wife died. And, um, and he Skyped. So we talked. And as conversations like this might go, we spend a lot of time talking about people we've lost and... Uh, we realize we're both getting old and you know, we, we may not ever see each other again. Actually, in person, we may never see each other again. And we don't know whether the next time we call, somebody's going to be there to pick up the Skype call. We don't know this. And in the midst of this gloom and, and sadness, what I realized is the whole time, neither one of us stopped grinning. We were so happy to be talking to one another that the virtual experience of now was much greater than all the contemplations around what could be true, what might be true, what used to be true. Just right now, we couldn't stop grinning. Wow, hi! (laughs) Wow, look at us, we're right here talking to one another. It was so great. We valued that virtual visit much more than we regretted all the times when we haven't seen each other. The sparkling joy of the exchange was just delightful. And we were able to just be with that. Just, oh, look, isn't this great? Now, we can't pretend that bad things aren't happening in the world. And it's a lot harder to give up when... Uh, there's a, it's a lot harder to say well, this is not important when you're in the midst of some tragedy, when you've just... when you're ill, when somebody has died, when something bad has happened in your life. You can't pretend it's not happening. It is happening. But we can also experience what that raw experience is bringing us. So, uh, I used to spend a lot of time in hospice. And one of the things that sustained me in that practice was being in the moment with someone who was suffering because I could recognize that suffering and I could respond to it with honesty. I could really be there for that suffering without trying to convince them they could fix it, that it could be different. The, the being just with them, just, I see that, you are suffering. I get it. I'm really sorry that you're suffering, and I'll sit here with you. I'll sit right here next to you, a friend of mine uh, who trained me in hospice, used to call it porch sitting. Yeah, we're just we're just together. We're just together. And in that, sitting there together, acknowledging that this may not have a good outcome, there can be joy. The joy of saying, I'm here. Still here. I'm here. I'm here with you. And in the stillness of just being in this moment, there is joy. My grandson is going through a phase, which I think all young boys go through, where the funniest thing in the world is uh, poop jokes. Right? Poop jokes. And he came in the door, just a few weeks ago, he came in the door, and he says, Hi, poop head! And I'm thinking, You can't call your grandma poop (laughs) head. And I just kind of let it go, because, you know, this is a What he's looking for is a reaction, right? And then when we got to the adult ritual of saying goodbye, which he also objects to, this adult ritual of saying goodbye, he threw a blanket over my head and started calling me all kinds of poop names. So his parents were horrified, of course, and they ripped the blanket off my head. And I'm sitting under this blanket thinking, hmm. As soon as the blanket came off, I turned to him and I repeated all these poop head names back at him. And he was totally shocked, just totally shocked. But he really, and then we both started laughing because we were both seen. We were both seen. And there was so much joy in that moment of being seen. We could not have orchestrated it. I can't cause it again, it'll never happen again. But just then, it was. I get it. (laughs) You think this is really funny. Okay. Telling him that would not have had any effect at all. But just, okay. That moment was precious. Embracing what is true brings joy. It doesn't matter whether it is pleasant or unpleasant. Embracing what is true And being in the moment for that is joyful. Creates the conditions for joy. I can increase the likelihood of joy by things I do. Generosity, gratitude, showing up, mindfulness. I can increase the possibility for joy. I can't make it happen. Searching for pleasant versus unpleasant turns out to be neutral with respect to whether joy arises because you don't get to plan for joy. Joy just happens. The piquancy of joy is sweet and endearing and uplifting, but you kind of have to come at it sideways. You don't get to plan for joy. But you do have to be open to the possibility. You have to wait for that dog of confusion to fall asleep. (laughs) And in order to do that, you have to be here. (laughs) You have to be here. One welcomes joy in the fullness of the moment through developing an open heart and a willingness to be firmly in the present just for this moment however often that might happen. So here's the poem again, The Promise. I like the title too, The Promise. Mysteriously they entered those few minutes. Mysteriously they left, as if the great dog of confusion guarding my heart, who is always sleepless, suddenly slept. It was not any awakening of the large, not so much as that, Only a stepping back from the petty. I gazed at the range of mountains. I drank from the stream. I tossed a small stone from the bank. Whatever direction the fates of my life might travel, I trusted. Even the greedy direction, even the grieving, trusted. There was nothing left to be saved from, bliss or danger. The dog's tail wagged a little in his dream. May I wish you all wagging dog tails? Thank you. So I'd like to know what you think about this, how you feel about joy. How, how do you recall moments of joy? What do you see? Does it all seem possible? Yeah. Can you use the microphone, please?
2: Hi, Maria. Hi. Hi. Um, There's a picture at an IRC Mm -hmm. of two nuns Uh at the top of the... On the second floor, across from the, and they are laughing exactly. together, and I, I, every time I'm there, I just, I stay because that meeting of two people and the joy of being and just laughing together, um, just always inspires me because I think what you're saying is true that you know you can't you can't make joy happen, but there's a openness to that openness to it that i know when i see my kids at each day i know i'm about to see them come out of the school and i am ready for to feel the joy of seeing them and and catching seeing their eyes and being present to them that um yeah i i really appreciate that possibility that it's always there it's right there to meet somebody that you haven't seen in a long time and and let the joy
3: be in
2: that yeah it's, it's it's really not
1: something you can plan on you know when you when you go to pick your kids up, your kids may not be looking for you, <laughs> they may be still you know ready to do something else and but your willingness to catch their eye that's the moment that's a moment where possibility really exists that's that's when That's when it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. But you never know. You know, you never know. Um, Yeah. Would Would you hand her this? Thanks.
4: I think... You can aim for it, though, maybe can't plan on it, but I was thinking about uh, how much I like to sing, and it makes me really happy or so there's happy versus joy, <laughs> not every time I sing uh, is there joy, but a lot a lot of the time, so there's a pattern right notice a pattern of joy so I'm going to figure out some way to sing more. I think I might take uh, ukulele lessons, which I find that's like, so embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> it's just so not what I see myself as, as a ukulele player, although apologies to all the ukulele pa- players in the room. But, you know, you all, we all carry our self-image around. But I'm, I'm pretty sure that I have a, a good chance of having some joyful moments by playing and singing so that's aiming for joy and I think that's important if you can figure out some things that make you feel really good uh, to try to aim in that direction
1: yeah so so you, you bring up an important thing it isn't that, um, that so what you can do is set up the conditions for joy right so Let's take uh, well let's take the the ukulele thing. You've probably never heard Jake. Let's see what's his name. Jake. Ah. Shimbu Bukoro. This guy is an amazing ukulele player. I've heard him play everything from jazz rock to classical pieces on that ukulele. It is amazing. Shimbu Shimbu I think I've left out one of one of the uh, ha, that word is not going to come to me. One of the pieces of his name, but Shimbabukura, that's it. So wonderful ukulele player, right? Now uh, so, so I will put that on play his album on my my computer sometimes when I want to to encourage a sense of spontaneity because his playing evokes that in me. It doesn't mean that I always feel that, but but the conditions are more likely for me. So if you direct yourself towards something, then you're setting up conditions that may or may not realize what you're looking for. But if you know something like singing brings you joy, that when you're singing, you'll suddenly say, Wow, this feels great. Why wouldn't you do that? Right. Now, if uh, in in trying to do that, you uh, created other tensions in your life, then, you know, it might not be... The joy might be a little dulled. Right? It might just be, Okay, yes, I'm enjoying this, damn it. Ah, <laughs> uh, But, you know, on the way here, you had... You had to go through... In order to get to your chorus practice on time, you had to run three red lights. and Right? I mean, so, so pretty soon you have to... you have to... locate the difference between the long-term plan and what gives rise to joy in the moment. Because joy only happens in the moment. So you can increase the conditions for joy, like going to pick up your kids after school is a good, good chance. There's a good chance. There are other things that can happen then too. Okay, you know, that's what happens. So the conditions for joy include being here, being generous, being grateful. And when we have those conditions, experiencing joy is more likely. That's all. So we do that. We do that. One, one of the things I notice most about joy in, in the last few weeks when I've really been thinking about it is I'll, I'll think joy, and then I'll just, uh, I will, there's a process of settling into my body that gives me the possibility for joy. That I've begun to associate joy with stillness, momentary stillness. It doesn't mean that if I just stop and take a breath, I'm going to experience joy. But it does mean that sometimes if I just stop and say, I'm here, I'm here. There is the effervescence of the moment that is fleeting and delightful. I'm here. And it's partly a function of how here I am. Just mentally saying I'm here doesn't really make it. <laughs> so so it's, it's about that dog of confusion guarding my heart thing. I have to be present in my heart. I have to really be here. As well as the mental construct around it. I think I'm wandering here, so anybody else has something they'd like to say about this? Yeah, please.
3: Um, it seems that there are, well, let's just say I've experienced or there have been places of awareness, presence connection to truth and then there's a really deep abiding joy that has absolutely nothing to do with anything that's going on
1: yes thank you
3: internally or externally and I've been fortunate to to experience that at times for an extended period Um, so I would say in that sense the best way to cultivate joy is to practice (laughs) is the meditation and the dharma and all of that um, yes. and that I mean that's just precious beyond anything yes. for for me and it's so nice when that comes in the presence of others you know, so that I can appreciate them however they show up and feel that joy in their presence um without the clinging or, you know, wanting anything. Or and I just want to show one little experience of this singer, because one place of joy I always tap into in my life was when I was, I must have been six, and um, I had seen The Sound of Music. And... Uh, I see this I see this spot in my childhood home now, and it's nothing, you know? But the grass had grown up, right? So it seemed like really tall grass to me. <laughs> and I'm running home, singing the sound of music, and leaping through the grass. <laughs> and that, to me, symbolizes joy. So sometimes I can just tap into, I, even as it's happening now, I can tap into that experience and feel that pure... I think of that as a spiritual experience a transcendent experience because it was just the pure experience of being beautiful
1: beautiful, and see even I'm grinning I'm, I'm grinning and hearing it <laughs> so you were able to, to, uh, to bring me there too <laughs> that's great did you have something you wanted to say yeah I do
0: Is this on? Um, I like the differentiation between uh, joy and happy. You brought up happy or happiness. Um, a lot of the examples are happy times of mm-hmm. joy, um, and I feel like what joy can be there when there's hard things going on because um, it's momentary. Um, my mom has a lot of health issues. She lives on the other side of the country, and I go back and forth. And, um, you know, when we don't talk about her stuff going on, we have a lot of joy. But wishing her happiness right now is too big. But um, talking to her on the phone or getting my kids on the phone with her is joyful and um, it's a very different feeling and it's a uh, it could be with a person or with things um, but it's this amazing momentary connection um, that I feel like we can they build up so we can become joyful as we notice them more and I think these settings um, are very conducive to letting that happen more Um, so I thank you for this talk
1: that's great, that's great, thank you, thank you that is, that's exactly it yeah okay, we've run to the time so wagging tails everybody may you be happy, thank you